Well, one day there'll be unceasing praise. We won't have any interruptions. Amen? Amen. 1993 was a big year for me as an individual. Um, I um, was ordained to the ministry that year. And I had no clue what that meant. Godly men examined uh, me. Um, I was asked many questions um, about doctrine and and then I was asked some uncomfortable questions like that what's your view on homosexuality as it relates to the scriptures so you know in front of 200 plus people I answered the question and um, you know every single question they asked me um, I went to the word for I didn't know what else to do right um, I think sometimes people look to us for wisdom and, and, and just maybe the best thing we can do is give them the wisdom that comes from God. So anyway, I was 29 and I was, I, the world was in front of me and ministry was in front of me. And that Sunday night at the ordination service, Jim Pence, who was my youth pastor when I was growing up, who told me, when I was 16 years old, he said, that one day the Lord's going to place you in the ministry. And I don't know where he got that from. That was, that was just his own words. And I told him he was crazy. I said, I'm not ever going to do that. And uh, wow, you know. So my plan was never to do that. Um, but God had a different path. And I remember sitting down, listening to that sermon that he preached. And, and there were 350 plus people there, but... But I was sitting on the front row and he was just preaching at me. He said, all of you are here, but I'm preaching to Thad tonight. And the message that he preached was one that I needed to hear that uh, over the years, um, the Lord has faithfully reminded me of. And that that message was that I've been charged to preach the gospel, to preach the word of God. And I remember he used the passage in 2 Timothy 3 um, where it says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And he said, Thad, you've been charged to do that. And there are going to be times when you do that and you're going to, man, this is going to be great because you're, you're, you're preaching about a common salvation. You're encouraging people. And, and then there's going to be times, though, that when you get up there to preach or teach, it's going to be uncomfortable for you. And I'll say this, since the year 2000, there have been plenty of times when I've really, really looked forward to standing up. But there have been a few times, quite honestly, that I've like thought, Lord, could you just somehow, some way, <laughs> give this to them without me showing up? And I guess this is one of those books where it would be easy to skip over chapter 2 of Second Peter if you're not already there, I'd encourage you to turn to Second Peter. If you're visiting with us today, that's the book that we've been going through now for a period of time. And um, I made a statement last week that was foolish. I said I was going to be through verse 3 today, and 
That just simply is not going to happen. But I heard it said once that it's easier to apologize, right? To receive forgiveness. So that's what I'm doing. Then I got to thinking about that and I thought, well, I don't really need to apologize for going through God's word. You know, why, why does there have to be a time frame? What if the Lord would come on a Sunday morning? Wouldn't it be great that he would find us studying his word? So, hey, it may take 80 years to go through Second Peter. Of course, somebody else is going to have to finish the book, I think. <laughs> um, this chapter is very important, and I kind of gave it a label last week, a, a book of warning, a chapter of warning. It's a chapter of warning. In the first chapter, he talks about the, the, the victorious, really, Christian life, the one that, where Peter writes that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, and he encourages those guys. He's like, you know, keep growing in your faith. Keep growing in your faith. And then he shares an experience with them that he had on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's like, hey, listen, that experience, as great as that was, I've got good news for you. We have the more sure prophetic word. And you remember he says, to which you do well to pay attention to. And so that's really the charge for the believer, to pay attention to the word of God. Um, And part of that responsibility for us in paying attention to the word of God is being a discerning believer. And that's really what chapter 2 kind of calls for. It calls for us to have our antennas up. We need to be aware that not every single person is advocating the same gospel as you and me. Not every single person, not every single church is standing on the word of God. And and we have to be aware of that. And, And not all of us necessarily have a discernment is one of our greatest strengths. And so if we don't, we really need to pay attention because we could be taken captive into teaching that would lead us astray from the foundational truths that God has given us in his word. And as a shepherd of sheep, there's nothing that um, I guess would frighten me more than for someone to take you and to lead you astray. I feel very responsible because God has charged me as a shepherd to protect the sheep. And I'm not the only one that has that responsibility within this body. You saw the elders come up earlier today. I think the Lord had all that in mind because he knows exactly what I was going to say. All of the shepherds that were up here have the responsibility to be among the sheep because we're responsible to feed and protect you. Right, that, That's what the Bible says that we're charged to do and that's a very great responsibility. And it's not one that's to be taken lightly and I didn't know exactly what I was getting into on, uh, in 1993. I have a little bit better picture of that now. And to be honest with you, it's a frightening thing because the Bible says that the teachers incur a stricter judgment that's, that's a line where I'm not, no, I don't know how, I'm looking forward to getting up to the front of that line. Boy, the Spirit is my helper. I can say since 1993, it has been my desire to communicate God's Word. That's what I'm charged to do. And you just happen to show up each week, and I really appreciate that. But all of us have the responsibility, guys, to be discerners. We all have that responsibility to listen and to watch out for. And that even involves reading. We're going to get to some of that later. It's not only what we hear, right? 
but it's what we read. There's just so much out there today, and, and we need to make sure that we're, we're being discerning, um, using, using God's Word as, as our guide. I like um, Charles Spurgeon's quote. I thought this was really powerful. I think it's something you could really appreciate. He said, discernment is not, excuse me, is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. <laughs> wow, man, there's a lot of that going on in our culture, right? Church culture. I mean, the, the ears, I mean, just we need to be discerning. I don't know how many times I might say that 100 before today's out. We need to be discerning. Not everything we, we hear is right. Not everything we read is right. And I just go, well, okay, so I need to be discerning. I need to be careful. I really like... Spurgeon's quote I thought you guys might enjoy it's not that long either it might be even something we could memorize um, last week we saw together um, from verse 1 and, and we won't get out of verse 1 today <laughs> but anyway uh, we saw in verse 1 their presence is certain the presence of false teacher teachers uh, Peter wrote look in, in verse 1 he says that false prophets also arose among the people and he's talking about the, the prophets in the Old Testament, we looked at some examples there in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah a few weeks ago. Um, and then he says, just as there will be false teachers among you, they're going to be among you. That's kind of, as we said last week, that's kind of a frightening thing. They could be sitting next to you, you don't even know it. <laughs> right? That, you think, oh, if that, that person next to me is not a false teacher. Well, I hope not. But that's kind of the mind, that, because we don't know. I mean, there are people always entering. When you think about it, there are people always entering, quote unquote, a church building. And the question becomes, for us, if you have that discernment piece in you, which that's one of my things. I have, I, the Lord gave me, I'm that, I have that discernment piece. So like when I look at people, I'm looking far beyond what, what they're wearing. I'm listening to what they're saying, right? Are, are they saying the same things about Jesus that God's word says. I'm just, I'm just built that way. I, I just, I'm thankful for that. It's one of those things that's, it, it's good and it drives me crazy all at the same time. And that doesn't mean I don't appreciate you and I'm not engaged in conversation with you, but I'm thinking in terms of, man, we have to be so discerning and, and, and because they're among us. And imagine what, imagine what those people uh, thought when they got the letter and they were reading it. What? Right? They're among you. Well, this morning we want to talk about their entrance. How in the world do they get in? Uh, Peter talks about that in the verse. I put here, their entrance is subtle. It's sneaky. It's crafty. You don't always know that they are a false teacher. Because they look similar to you and me. And they may, may even have a lot of the same language that we have, but. There's a big but, right? But it could be that they are saying things about the Lord and about his word that simply aren't true, and it's only based on their wisdom and their understanding. Um. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will do what? Secretly introduce. 
That phrase in the Greek language means to bring in next to. To bring in next to what? To bring in next to the truth. So he says, who will bring in secretly, next to the truth, destructive heresies. There's a book in the Bible that comes right after that's very um, kind of like a sister book. And it helps us to kind of think through some of the language that Peter's writing. So, so where Peter says that these guys secretly introduce or come alongside and introduce destructive heresies, um, Jude uses the same language. Jude verse 3, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn back, it's not far, it's just a little postcard, all right, right in the end there, right before Revelation. Jude verse 3, I want to take you through some of these terms. I want you to understand this is a pretty heavy subject. Jude writes, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, there's some words here that are worth defining. I mean, it's just, the, that's just, it's good to know. He says, I was making every effort. The word effort there means eagerness. It means zeal. He had this zeal, this eagerness to share with them about their common salvation. I mean, what better to talk about than our salvation, right? All God's people said amen to that. Let's talk about salvation. Let's talk about how we come to Christ. Let's talk about the change that the Lord has made in our lives. And, and that's exactly what Jude wanted to do. But notice what the word says. It said, he said, I felt the necessity. That word means urgency. Right? I mean, we all understand that word urgency. There's times where, where we're, our kids are growing up and, 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 and it just happens. You, you, you can't uh, plan this. It just happens. But your kids will start talking about something and you're like, hey, this is a great opportunity to talk to them about this. That ever happened to you? It happened to me. I, we, we raised three boys. Thank you, Teresa. We raised three boys. She raised three boys. But there were many a times where there would be something they would mention. And they'd be like, hey, teachable moment. Teachable moment, right? Um, that's the word there. There was this urgency to write, Jude says, to you appealing, begging is the word there. He's begging them. And this next phrase is pretty awesome. That you contend earnestly for the faith. That's the word that earnestly should be in there. It's not up there, is it? Contend, it's in my notes and it's in the Bible. Contend earnestly for the faith. Um, the word contend was used in connection with uh, Greek athletes competing to the point of agony. Um, how many of you are competitors, right? Raise your hand, raise your hand. I play racquetball twice a week. I play with a man who's a competitor. I've only won one game. I think that's because he might have let me win. No grace, no mercy on the part of this person. Just beats me all the time. When I was in, um, when I was in college, I had a roommate my freshman year. And um, my mom used to tell me, son, I'm praying for your roommate. Well, I got this country boy for a roommate. I came from the city and he was from Alexander City, Alabama. And um, I remember one specific night we were competing to the point of agony. 
we were in the dorm, and you know how college guys are. Um, they stink, right? I mean, have you ever walked into a college dorm full of guys? It's just, it's terrible. I don't have to do it. Don't do it unless you have to. Um, anyway, we're in there, and there's this big um, area downstairs, and, and, and everybody's going to get in on wrestling. Well, I look at my roommate, and he's five foot something. And I'm five foot ten at the time. Right? Not really. I, I, I might have been. Coach listed me that, as that in, in basketball. <laughs> I got to tell you this story real quick. So he, I go in his office. He said, Thad, how tall are you? I said, 5'8". And he said, uh, that doesn't look good on a, on a program. How about 5'10"? How does that sound? <laughs> so anyway, I'm wrestling this guy. I look at him. You know how you are. I mean, you look at, at the one you're competing against. You go, I got this guy. Man, I looked at him and thought, I got this guy. Well, at the end of the match, I was the one that was pinned. But one very important point was not given to me. He was on the wrestling team in high school. Now, when I tell the story, I like to say the pizza showed up. It was time to eat. But, you know, the reality was that he pinned me. But we wrestled to the point of agony. We were really, really tired. And that's, that's the picture here. That you contend for the faith to the point of exhaustion. All right. You're like, ah, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm not into that. You mean contend to the point of exhaustion? That's exactly what Jude's saying. And sometimes it might mean that. It might mean, man, I'm tired of defending this. But my friends, listen to me, there's nothing, there's, the, the call to defend the gospel and the word of God is awesome. It's grand. And guess what? If you're a believer in Christ, you've been called to do that. You're like, well, but that's not too popular. No, it's not going to be popular. And you're not going to win a lot of friends. But you know what you're going to be able to do is stand before the Lord one day and say, I defended your word. As it relates to eternity, that's going to happen soon. So he says, appealing to you that you contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And so the question is why? You know, why contend for the faith? Well, here's the answer. We don't have to go beyond the scriptures. Why contend for the faith? Notice what Jude says. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. I need to make two points about that phrase, have crept in unnoticed. Um. The term means to settle alongside of. It means this person's not easily detected. When I go to, um, every other year I go to Tuscaloosa. Not necessarily because I want to, um, but I do because I have a friend that takes me to the Alabama and Arkansas games. And when, when, when I, we walk across, what, Denny, you know, that Denny Chime Square that old place, and you know, we're walking around the campus, I have a shirt that I wear that looks just like the shirt that my buddy's wearing. The same colors, pretty much. Have you ever seen the Arkansas colors? They're kind of similar. So we're, we're walking around, people will have to really pay attention to find out, I'm not for Alabama, right? And sometimes you'll walk by somebody and they'll see that little pig and they'll go... He's not one of us. Until we get up to our seats. And my friend says, I brought him again. 
And then they all know. The point is, I can walk in there and I look like everybody else until they see that little pig. And by the way, that's a beautiful little pig. (laughs) I didn't plan on saying that, but it is a beautiful little pig. But the word there means to settle alongside of, and the point is it's not easily detected. I like what Adrian Rogers, this is the second point I wanted to make this about this. Adrian Rogers said this about that phrase. He said, false teachers are like termites destroying the foundation of the building. They're not always detected. You know, so we got to pay attention, Right? Um, notice he says those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only and our only master and Lord Jesus Christ Um, that word deny there might seem like just this little word I don't know how much attention do I need to pay to it but it's in the present tense. And what that means is that they continually deny the Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And notice he says, they turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Meaning this, because of grace, this is what they're saying, they're provocating this message. Because of grace, live like you want. Well, does the Bible say anything about that? You know what? It just so happens to say something about that. Paul said in Romans, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that what? That grace may abound. You know what he says to that question? May it never be. May it never be. And so we have in the church people who come in unnoticed. And these people, these false teachers, as Jude writes, as Peter writes, they're dangerous to the body. Of Christ. Well, so it leads to the question who are some of these people, right? And I just want to say this before we move on. Um, the reason I'm introducing some of these things this morning is because, because of that calling that, that the Lord has in my life. And so, any names that are mentioned, it's not to belittle the person. Um, in fact, I would say that we need to pray for these people. Uh, I remember sitting in the cafeteria one time in, in uh, college and there was a man who was very um, very popular who was a TV preacher and, and he had this um, a huge following of people and there was a sin in his life that came up and, and, um, and there was just this mass response on the part of the evangelicals. And I remember sitting at a lunch table one day and listening to a bunch of guys talk about this man and I was young then, but the thought came to my mind, we need to pray for that man. So as we move on, we need to pray for these folks. Um, and the prayer for all of us should be that we stay, stay to the word of God. Well, who's crept in unnoticed? I just want to give you just a couple of examples this morning. Universalists have crept into the church. Um, a universalist teaches that Eventually, all people will be reconciled to God. Is that true? Right? So then we say, well, what does the Bible say? There's a man, I don't know if you've heard of the man's name. I was introduced to him years ago. His name's Rob Bell. Very popular guy. In fact, um, now, I just read just this last week, it was sent to me that 
he now stands in front of a mirror to preach. Now, I don't know why he does that. I, I didn't call him and ask him. But I thought, why would you do that? Unless you like looking at yourself. You know, the older I get, when I stand in front of the mirror, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> the hair is a lot more gray. In fact, I got to tell you what my wife did to me. Honey, I love you, but I'm going to tell this story. So Friday night, we were at a uh, baseball game in Nashville. And um, she was sitting with the coaches, one of the coaches' little girls. And um, I guess they were talking about the age of people and how when you get older, gray kind of comes to be a part of who you are. It's just the reality of it. Some of us cover it up, but it's, it's still there. And... um. So she must have been saying something about uh, facial hair because she said, Thad. And so I turned around, and at the time, I didn't know what they were even doing, and they, I just turned back around. And so afterwards, Teresa said, well, yeah, I was letting her know that um, as people get older, their, their hair turns gray. And even the hair on their face. Um, I don't know all there is to know about Rob Bell. Uh, I was introduced to him, I guess, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and um, through his original book that he wrote called Velvet Elvis. And um, I remember a guy saying to me at a church, he said, Dad, have you read this dynamic book called Velvet Elvis? And I'm like, I've heard of Elvis, but I don't know what you're talking about. Um, If you read anything about him, you'll come to know that he's a universalist. He believes all people are going to eventually end up with the Lord. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So the way I look at it is, well, Rob Bell's not my authority. Is he yours? No, he's not. The Bible is. So what does the Bible say? Well, I'm glad that we asked that question. I want you to go back with me to Matthew in the 7th chapter. Matthew chapter 7. I want you to see what Jesus says about this issue. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. So we're answering the question, are all men going to be reconciled? Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to what? Destruction. That word actually in the Greek, and, he, and Peter uses it four times in Second Peter, it has the idea of ruin. And the idea of ruin is the idea of separation. It's not annihilation. I mean, people are going to live for eternity in one of two places. So, so this idea of being destroyed is not like some teach like annihilation, but it's the idea of separation. And, and, and that's what, listen, that's what spiritual death is. It's separation from who? From God. And, 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 and man, our hearts are heavy when we say this next phrase, that's for all eternity. You know, we live in a culture that's used to get out of jail free cards. But that's it. That's it. So can I encourage you to do something? Keep praying for your family and your friends that don't know Christ. Keep sharing the gospel. And, and don't look at them and go, well, it's beyond. They're never going to come to Christ. And you look at the life of Saul right on the road to Damascus. Would you have ever thought? I mean, look at his life. He was zealous against Christianity. And the Lord changed that man.
<laughs> Aren't we glad, right? So Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. Many are those. That's troubling to me. I mean, it's true, but it's just troubling. I mean, there's just a whole lot of people. You look at, you look at our world today, billions of people without Christ. So you look at this Advanced 360 and I go, man, Lord, if that's just a way we can carry the gospel to more and more people, to your name be praised. For the gate, he says, is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. So when we come to a setting like this, if you're in Christ, man, let's rejoice, right? <laughs> rejoice that we're in Christ. That's not the only, there are numerous verses we could go to, but I want you to go to Revelation chapter 20. I want to show you this one, Revelation 20. Revelation 20 is, in this setting, is the great white throne judgment. Um, you don't want to be at this judgment. Every believer will be judged. You know, there's the Bema seat. We'll be judged. Um, I don't know. I, I, used to, I guess when I was growing up, how much time did it? It's already 11.43. Uh, when I was growing up, um, I, I don't know that I ever thought about that. Right, young people? D about being judged. You know, I was saved. I'm like, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. But this whole idea of being judged, standing before the one who is the judge who, according to the Bible in John 5, all judgment's been given to who? The Son, Christ. So, and, 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 and it's an appointment that I'm not going to miss. I'm not going to be late. Right? I can't say, hey, maybe later. It's going to be then. And at the judgment seat of Christ, there'll be reward and loss of reward based on the things that we've done. That's the bottom line. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that. But this judgment in this context is the great white throne judgment. And this judgment's more evidence of the fact that there will be people, many people, who will be eternally separated. And that's the word ruin. I need you to remember that. That's the ruin of man. Being a, listen, being eternally separated from their creator. That's the ruin. I think about the agony that um, it was just for a short time after my mom went to be with the Lord. I, I mean, I had this agony in my heart. I missed her presence. But she's not in agony anymore, is she? She's with the Lord. But to think that there will be masses of people without Christ who are forever separated, that's what the Bible says. We'll all admit that's not a real popular message in our culture today. But I want to tell you something. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ, there is only one way to the Father, and that's through Christ. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man, no man, no man, no man comes to the Father but by me. That's the truth. That's what we teach. That's what we teach here at Grace. If you're visiting with us, that's what we teach. I, I, don't, I want you to know that as a visitor. That's what we teach. We lovingly teach that. But we teach that. In this context 
is the great white throne judgment. Look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their what? Their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was what? Thrown into the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. Now, guys, I want, I want you to know, I mean, when you're presenting something like that, does that have a heart for people? Yeah, I do. I love people. Wednesday nights, I'm working with these kids in Awana. It's kind of been this... To be honest with you, it's been a really awesome time for me. And there's nothing, listen, there's nothing like sitting in front of those kids and talking with them about the Word. They need to be introduced to who Christ is. They need to know He's the only way. Um, And I don't apologize for it. I tell them the truth. I want them to know. I I want them to understand. They're not just memorizing verses, but, but but this is God's Word. I do, I do care about people. And so I care so much that there have been times I've wanted, and I know it's not physically possible, I've wanted to catapult myself through the television set and say, hey, that's not right. That's not what God says. I'm just that crazy too. I might do something like that. Let me give you one more example. We don't have time for the third one today. It's too long. But I'm going to give it to you next week. It's already 11.47. Prosperity theology. Any of you ever heard of that? Prosperity theology teaches that God wants Christians to be materially wealthy. And physically well. And happy. And they also teach that if you don't have that, that you don't have enough faith. That's heresy. It's not true. Um, so I go, well, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says this. 2 Timothy 4.12. I would say this, that the apostles didn't get that memo. I've always wondered what health, wealth, and prosperity guys do with those guys. What are you doing with them? I mean, if you read 2 Corinthians 11, I mean, Paul's not having this jolly good old time. He's rehearsing all of these physical things that took place in his life. Dangers, storms, beatings, isolation. Yay, that sounds great. And then he mentions on top of all of that physical stuff, he has the daily burden for the churches. By the way, that was a strong burden. If you're a shepherd, it's a strong burden. Well, Paul wrote to Timothy, and indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be healthy and wealthy. Is that what it says? No, it says they will be persecuted. By the way, 
If you're journeying through the book of Acts sometime, it doesn't take long before that persecution takes place. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider, Paul wrote, that the sufferings, the what? Class, the what? Sufferings. Any of you familiar with sufferings? Probably not to the extent like the apostles yet. But do you know there's coming a generation that I think is going to face all that stuff? Might, might not, but could, could happen. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. <laughs> um, I'm going to show you this next slide and I just have that and an illustration and can't believe. Did you bring your lunch today? I've got one more I really want to go over. I just put beware. So like when I walk up to a yard and they have a sign and it says beware of the dog, immediately they have my attention. I'm not going inside that fence. I'm not even going up close to that fence. These are some guys that are, I believe, adding to the gospel, adding to what the word says. Joel Stein, very popular guy. He's got a large following. He's the guy that I quoted last week in terms of man being good. Creflo Dollar, Joseph Prince, Joyce Meyer. Here's, here's the thing with some of these guys. They say truth. Do you know that? They do. They will speak forth the truth. But it's the other stuff that comes with it. Right? That's very, very dangerous. Um, will y'all be patient for five more minutes? Can I get, all right, good. I, I saw somebody shake their head. Huh? Pouring right now. Yeah, it's pouring. Hey, let's stay in the building at 1230. Amen. All God's people said amen. <laughs> Authors of books. Now, this is a pretty broad subject. And again, the purpose of this is just to help us to think through this issue of discernment. I remember years ago when the, the prayer of Jabez came out. This is one of the things about being a pastor that they didn't warn us about in school. That everybody's going to ask you what you thought about this book or that book. Sometimes I just honestly want to say, well. But when asked about that book and then reading it, I thought, well, the first thing that came to my mind reading that book, The Prayer of Jabez, was context. I don't know, I'm just one of those kind of guys. that says context. What's the context of The Prayer of Jabez? Um, then they had a book come out, it's not too long ago, called The Shack. Um, I think that's a very dangerous book. That's just my opinion, right? You have yours, I have mine. All opinions are like armpits, what they stink, right? Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> that's my opinion. I mean, from what I can read from the scriptures, God is spirit. That book does not say that about the Father. So, um, you have the shack. And then, um, before I get to this other one, 
I need to give you the warning from the scriptures. You remember in Revelation, it talks about adding to or taking away from. Um, what does the Bible say? Well, in Revelation 22, there's a warning about adding to or taking away from the book. I personally am against plagues. I'm just not for that. I don't, not interested in that, right? I look at that and I go, well, I'm not adding to or taking away from. I'm good, right? I mean, really, if you're reading that, I mean, I'm thinking, man, if you're one of those false teachers, you know what? I need to write a letter to those guys and say, read that, read that. I mean, it, it's serious. Um, well, there's another verse that I really wanted to, to highlight, and you said I could have five more minutes. Um, Paul writes in Thessalonians, but examine everything. That means you examine me. It says everything. Examine everything. The word examine means to put to the test. The word was used to describe the process of testing metals to test their authenticity or genuineness. That's how the word was used in the culture. So examine everything carefully. That word carefully is added. It's not in the original. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I'm, I'm, I know you guys have heard of this book because it sold, I think it was in 2013, over 15 million copies. It's a lot, a lot of books. Um, there's a professor out of a Baptist school in Houston who wrote a blog about this particular book. It appears on a Grace to Use website, which is John MacArthur's uh, church out in California. Um, Tim Challies wrote uh, about this particular book. And really, these two guys could have gotten together because they write pretty much the same things. But I just want to read just a few um, excerpts and then just close our time. Um... In this devotional series, or book, excuse me, entries are presented as the actual words of Christ. With him speaking words of encouragement and hope directly to the reader. And that sounds good. I mean, I'm all about encouragement. But I would say that our encouragement comes from the word. Um, this is how the person explains their introduction. I have written from the perspective of Jesus speaking to help readers feel more personally connected with him. So the first person singular, I, me, my, mine, always refers to Christ. You refers to you, the reader. She describes the writing process as follows. The following year, I began to wonder if I could change my prayer times from monologue to dialogue. I had been writing in prayer journals for many years but this was one-way communication. But I would challenge that statement to say God's already communicated to us. Right? He, he's done that. Um, I did all the talking. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God might want to communicate to me on a given day. So again, I would say, read the Word. Read the Word. If you want to know what God wants for you, read the Word. Um, the author put, I decided to listen with pen in hand, writing down whatever I heard in my mind. Well, then I have to go, whoa. I'm just talking for me. Because there's a lot of things, I don't know about you guys, there's a lot of things go, go through my mind on a daily basis. 
And some of it's not that good. Um, the name of the lady is Sarah Young. The book is called Jesus Calling. Only Young, he goes on to write, and he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't blitz her. I mean, he's not out to fry her. He just kind of is out to warn. He says, only Young understands the balance she's attempting to strike between divine revelation and her own imagination. But as Peter points out in 2 Peter, we have the more sure what? Prophetic word. We don't need anything else. The danger is to say that the word is not sufficient. That's where we're going. But my friends, listen to me. The word of God is all sufficient. It's all we need. There's nothing wrong with books. I have a whole library full of books. In fact, I have so many books, I can't get them into my office. But not every book and not every author writes everything exactly the way it needs to be. Um... He goes on to write in that sense, her books have a lot in common with modern prophecy. We're told to believe they are words of God without assigning them the authority of the word of God. In an earlier unrevised version of Jesus Calling, Young made that point abundantly clear and she writes this, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible. And she believes, she believes that. And if you go look her up, she believes in the inerrant infallibility of the word of God. She believes that. She believes the word's inerrant, it's infallible. But she writes, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. But that's it. That's it. That's what we have. Do you see the danger? There's a danger there. Because here's the danger. She's the authority. It's no different than if you got up one morning and started writing and said, oh, I got this revelation from God. Well, you know, I've been saved 45 years. I've never had one of those. Now, I have his revelation. In 45 years, I've never had anything written in the sky. I've never had, he's never said, hey, Thad, I've never had that. And I believe it's because the canon's closed. I believe it's because scripture has been preserved and that's what we have and that's what we need. Um, she writes, increasingly I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. Um, almost done. This desire to hear personally from the Lord is nothing new to the church. Now I want you to listen to this because this, this is a warning to all of us. But it may be enjoyed, excuse me, but it may be enjoying unprecedented precedented acceptance among God's people. He writes this, lately I hear phrases like the Lord told me. God revealed to me, I heard God say, from a wide variety of Christian ministries, it's no longer the exclusive territory of the charismatic church. The truth is, and I love the way he emphasized, Jeremiah Johnson emphasizes, the truth is God has already said everything he intended to say to us. His word makes that clear. I like that. That's a good reminder for me as a believer. The Bible we have is neither incomplete nor inadequate. We already have all the revelation we need from God. As one of his good friends, Justin Peter says, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear him speak audibly, read it out loud. <laughs> That's pretty good advice. Pretty practical, isn't it? Well... You might even have the book in your library. Um, 
I would just say, be careful. That's my responsibility. Be careful. Um, I'll show you one more slide and give you an illustration and then the rain's let up. There's a consistent and troubling theme. I like this statement that Jeremiah Johnson makes. There's a consistent and troubling theme gaining influence in the church today. The Bible is not enough. My friends, listen to me, it has legs. And those legs are running everywhere. Influencing people. And it saddens me when I hear, I need more. Man, I got this. And, and if you study the history of how the canon was preserved, it's awesome. Do that this afternoon after you eat your tuna fish sandwich or whatever it is you're eating. I do like tuna and water, not oil. Um, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that he's spoken to us in these last days through who? His son. The Bible tells us the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. John MacArthur writes this, the truth is there is no, re, no fresher or more intimate revelation than Scripture. God does not need to give private revelation to help, it should say, to help us in our walk with him because as Paul wrote, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you know, guys, that um, at the beach, when you go to the beach, there are flags on the beach? You ever notice that? There are yellow flags and there are red flags and there's all kinds of flags. And as I was reading up on that this week, I ran across, I was curious, because I thought, that's a great illustration of a warning, potentially. And wow, there is. Did you know there's a flag there that's a purple flag on the beach? Have you aware of that? I don't think it's an LSU flag, but it's a purple flag. You know what the purple flag warns people of? Can I give you some of this just real quick? It warns us who go to the beach of jellyfish. Personally, I'm not a fan. Of stingrays, I know I'm not a fan. And of sea snakes, and any, I'm not a fan of any snake. Or other marine life that are present in the waters because... They don't want you in there. It's a warning to you. Now, that doesn't mean people adhere to the warning, does it? There are many people that go in, they see a red flag, and there's a huge undercurrent, and they're like, ah, I'm going to go. Or they see the purple flag, and ah, I don't care what's in the water, I'm going to go. Guys, I care about you. And I care that all of us stay true to the Word of God. That's our priority. And hey, there's all kinds of books out there. There's all kinds of people who are preaching and teaching. No matter who it is, we all have the responsibility to examine the Word of God and measure everything according to that book. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning. and um, This is probably an uncomfortable subject for for some, and, and um, I know it is for me as a teacher because one of the responsibilities that you've given us who teach is um, to, um, to preach the truth. And um, Lord, to, um, 
call out those who are not being true to the gospel of Christ and adding to or taking away from. And, and Lord, um, we know that in your life on earth, you called out the Pharisees, the religious leaders. We know the Apostle Paul called out many. Um, it is an uncomfortable feeling that we have. But, Lord, we can't live our life based on feelings. Uh, we need to live our life uh, tied to the objective truth that comes from your word. And so I pray you'd help us to have discerning ears so that we will be able to discern truth from error, that you would give us discerning eyes as we read. And, Lord, uh, that doesn't mean that, that um, we're to, every book we have, we're going to agree with everything, but... Lord, there's, there's basic things that we're looking for. Um, you you told, told us through Jude that um, to contend for the faith, and, and that phrase, the faith, means all of it. It's not just the gospel, but it's, it's all the doctrines of Scripture. And so we just thank you, Lord, that you've charged us with this. I pray that it would be faithful, faithful people to stand on your word. And all these things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Day, there will come a day when um, every stand that we've made for Christ in a culture that opposes it and every uh, persecution that has been sent our way um, will be just swallowed up in glory. Um, you know, the, the next event we're waiting for is for Jesus to come back for his bride, which is us. And... Um, so Thad already put the verse up there. Uh, For I consider that these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. So let's sing about that. Let's all stand as we close. Oh
Savior and I. 